You remember? All right, all right. So that's where we're at. We're in Exodus right now. And in Exodus, as you saw, we are finally to the part of the plagues. We have made it through, uh, realistically, Moses and who Moses is and why Moses is the way that he is. And we finally get to this part that if you're not careful with where we're at in Scripture today, then you can really, really get messed up. Because why would God allow ten plagues to hit people, to mess them up, to punish a country, to get his people out of there? And that's where we find ourselves today. And I'm excited to dive into this with you guys because, well, let's be honest for a second. Like, if we don't teach on this, then we're really missing the whole point of the Exodus. Does anybody remember what Exodus means? Looking around, looking around. Perfect. Nathan, yeah. Yeah, it's a mass group of people leaving one place, going to another place. That's exactly what we're talking about. The Hebrews want to leave. That's what this whole book is about. That's what's happening here, and that's where we find ourselves today. Before we jump in, I want to tell you about a movie that I've watched, not a book that I've read. I want to read the book. I haven't done it yet. There is a movie called Unbroken that came out, mm, let's see, roughly eight years ago, something around that, okay? There's a guy in this movie. His name's Louis Zamprini. Should be pictures of him behind me right now, yes, okay? If you've never seen this movie, it's a really, really fascinating movie about a kid who was a phenomenal track star. I mean, like, really, really good. He was running um, in the Olympics. That's how good he was. All right, he didn't win the Olympics, but he was running in the Olympics. He had scholarships to school and everything like that. He was a phenomenal distance runner. Then he enlisted into the Army and went and got shot down off an island. All right? So he's shot down, and he becomes a prisoner of war in World War II. Lewis, if you've never seen the movie, I think it's a fascinating movie, but here's what happens. When he becomes a prisoner of war, he's in not great like help because he's been like, you know, dehydrating and stuff on this boat where he had been shot down. But he finally starts to get back to health when this new guy from the Japanese army comes and becomes in charge. And this guy was known as the worst. He was known as the bird. All right. And the bird wanted to break Lewis of everything he had in him. He wanted to break his pride. He wanted to break his self-control. He wanted to break everything about Louis. And so here's what happens. It's crazy. And listen, like, like I said, I want to read the book. I haven't had a chance to do that yet. But as the movie goes on, you see over and over again, they've got this giant log. And eventually one day, here's what happens. Like, He's standing there, and he's got to hold this right above his head like this. And it's a terrible, terrible thing. It's actually right there. And he's holding it up there, and it's getting beat. And there's so many different things. Finally, the war is declared over. They're taking these guys to kill them all. This is all based on a true story. It's absolutely insane. All of a sudden, they see planes flying overhead. And the bird knows, hey, this isn't good for me. So he takes off with all his other officers, and they get away from there. Meanwhile, these guys, they've been starving. They're not doing well in health or anything like that. They get to go back home, and Louis actually passed away, I think it was back in 2014, something around that. And, I mean, so he was a World War II vet. It was a really awesome story. He got to go, and he got to be a part 
um, he was the torchbearer at the Nagano Winter Games. That, w- that took place in Japan in 1998. He had offered to meet with the bird. See, the bird had never been captured. He never got caught. He never got punished for his war crimes or anything like that. But Louis wanted to meet with him, and it wasn't to get revenge. He was an old man at this point, and, and Louis wanted to offer forgiveness to him because Louis became a Christian a little later in life. He wanted to fix the broken relationship that was there. He wanted just to offer him forgiveness the way that God offered it. The bird turned him down, and, and really we don't know if the bird's still alive or not right now. But we know that he would not come to him. And so today what we want to talk about is that word that you heard in that video just a minute ago, and that's redemption. Okay? Redemption, it means this. It means to purchase a slave's freedom. All right? Redemption means to, to, to give someone freedom. It means to get them away from where they're at. And that's exactly what the story of Exodus is all about. That's where Louis found himself. He needed someone to come and save him. He needed someone to purchase him, to win him back. That's where I share that story there with you. So you see that the Google tells us that to redeem means to purchase, to win back, to get someone back. And here's what we know. God is in the redeeming business. Okay? How do we know that? How do we know that? Exodus chapter number 3. Verse number 7. Exodus chapter number 3, verse number 7. You heard Jordan talk about this last week. This is God speaking to Moses while the bush is on fire. Look at the screen behind me. What's it say? I have seen and I have heard my people. I have seen and I have heard my people. Now what had God seen and what had he heard from his people? Any thoughts? He, he knew his people were struggling. Why were his people struggling? They were slaves. We talked about this a little bit a few weeks ago. They were building bricks. Were they building bricks for the pyramids? We don't know for sure, but it's highly likely. It's highly likely that the Pharaoh... He no longer, this was a new Pharaoh, this was a new king, this was a new person in power. He no longer cared about these people the way Joseph and that Pharaoh had a relationship. This was different. This Pharaoh, he saw these guys as a pest. And that's how he was going to treat them. That's exactly what he wanted to do. He he, he said, you know what, like, you're slaves. That's all you're ever going to be to me. You can do my work. You can do the stuff I don't care about. Well, you can do the stuff that's hard that I don't want my people to do. And so Exodus 3, 7 is God saying, hey, listen, I've seen this. I've heard what's happening. And now we're going to do something. Now we're going to change this up. It can no longer be the same. That's what Jordan talked to you guys about last week. Jordan talked to you guys, if you were here last week, you could, here's a quick reminder. If you weren't here, that's okay too. Quick story is this. Moses kills a guy. He kills an Egyptian. He sees him hitting another Hebrew, and he, he kills him, and he buries him in the sand. And he sees two Hebrews fighting the next day. And they say, hey, what are you going to do, kill us like you killed that other guy? That scares him. He runs away. He eventually gets married to a girl of the foreign land, has kids with her. One day he's tending his father-in-law's sheep, 
and he sees this bush on fire. And this is the day that God calls him. This is the day that God says, hey, listen, I'm going to still use you. Now, if I'm honest with you guys for a second, there's been times in my life where I've asked the question, is the Bible real? Right? There's been times in my life I've asked the question, like, are these people for real? Like, are they real people? Today, what I want to do is I want to cover a lot of scripture, but I don't want to give it all to you the way that I normally would. I don't want to read it all. I'm going to read some, and then we're going to skip around some. I want you to hear the first nine plagues, and then in two weeks, Mr. Tony's going to pick up where we live off today. Got it? Everybody good? Exodus chapter 4, if you have a Bible, open it up right there. Here is how I know the Bible is real, okay? Exodus chapter number 4. It's not going to be on the screen behind me, so if you didn't bring your Bible, I'm sorry. Jump in with somebody next to you. It says this starting in verse 1. Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Moses has already been making, hey, God, these people aren't going to believe me. These people aren't going to trust that I've heard from you. These people know my story. They're not going to do that. Listen, listen, listen. I love this part. Verse number two. You guys should all be there by now. The Lord said to him, what is in your hand? A staff. Does everybody know what a staff is? What's a staff? It's a stick. Great job, Johnny. You're crushing it today. All right, seriously, it's a stick, okay? What do you use the stick for? Walking to help the sheep go along their way, right? It can be a weapon if you have to use it as a weapon. Are you ready for how I know the Bible's real? Listen to this part. Uh, Verse number three. He said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. Here's how I know it's real. And Moses ran from it. Just a second. Let's think about what just happened. Okay? His stick in his hand, God tells him to throw it on the ground. Throws it on the ground. What's it become? A snake. How many of you guys would have had the same exact response? Think about it. I am out. All right? I'm just telling you I'm out. All right? When that happens, mm-mm, no more. We done. Okay? Like, I know you're real, God. The bush was enough to convince me, but now there's a snake on the ground. But listen. (laughs) But the Lord said to Moses, put your hand, or put out your hand and catch it by the tail. Nope. Nope. Nuh-uh. Catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he called it. And it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe the Lord, the God of their father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside the cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first <clears throat> signs, they may believe the latter sign. And if they will not believe these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. What God does right here 
in this conversation that he's having with Moses is he tells him, hey, this is exactly what's going to happen. Here's how I'm going to let you do this. Here's the first few signs that you need to know. I'm going to tell you right now everything that's going to happen. Because when you go before Pharaoh, you're going to be nervous. You're going to be scared. But I've got you. I am. You see, there's a phrase there that, that if we overlook that, then we miss one of the major points of Scripture. When the word says, I am, God is referring to himself as Yahweh. Okay? And when it says, I am, do you know what I am is? I am capable of everything. I made this entire world. I am, meaning I am the most powerful being in existence. That's exactly who God is referring to himself as. Yahweh, creator of everything, sustainer, more powerful than anyone else on the face of this earth. Pharaoh has become the most wicked person that we've ever seen in Scripture. Pharaoh does not care about the Hebrews. Like I said, he sees them as a pest. He sees them as a riddance. He sees them as a way to get what he wants built to himself. That's it. God says, these are my people. And it's time for my people to be back in where I call them to be. Moses, you're the leader. Moses, you're the guy. Verse number 10. But Moses said to the Lord, oh, Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and um, put the words in his mouth. And I will be your mouth um, and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And taking your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. Moses, once again, God, I don't want to do this. God, I'm not good enough for this. God, I got struggles. You got the wrong guy, God. Mm -mm, I got the right guy. But I'm going to use your brother too. Moses goes back to his father, Jethro, and says to him in verse number 18, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are alive. And Jethro said, go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff on his hand and took the staff in his hand. <clears throat> and the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you will say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. 
If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Crazy story. Crazy. I mean, really, it's one of these things that, like, they make movies about it, but if you read the scripture, you get to see so much more. You get to understand more. The more that you study it, the more that you really dig into it, the more complex it gets, but also the more just surreal that it becomes. Remember, Moses was the baby that his mom threw in the river. The baby who happens to wash up before the princess, who becomes the princess's son. So that means he gets a right to speak to the king, right? He gets a right to go and, and spend time with him, but then he kills the Egyptian. So he gets in trouble. He runs away because he's scared. Then God calls him, has this conversation with him, sends him back to go meet with Pharaoh, to tell the Pharaoh, go, let my people go. Let them go. That's it, right? We see it right here. Chapter 5, verse 1. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to the Pharaoh. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. A full conversation happens right here, and I'm not going to read it all to you. Here's what happens. Pharaoh laughs. He says, why would I let them go? Who are you? Who is this God you're talking about? Why would I even think about letting them go? He laughs at them so much, and he sends them out. And then he tells the taskmasters, the people who are in control of the Hebrews. He says this. He says, hey, make their jobs harder. Don't give them any straw. Make them gather their own stuff. But tell them they're still going to have to produce the same amount that they were supposed to be bringing in each day. The Israelites, they start complaining. They start grumbling at Moses. And they say, man, who are you? Why are you even here? Did God really send you? Like, dude, all you've done is made our life harder. Why? Why are you here? Verse number 22, back here. <clears throat> Moses turned to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak your name, he has done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. The people, they look to Moses, they complain. They say, dude, since you showed up, life's gotten a lot harder. Since you showed up, he's become more evil. Since you showed up, man, my back hurts. And Moses feels the weight of that. Moses looks to God, God, why would you let this happen? God, I don't understand why this is going to happen. But God had already told him, hey, this is what's going to happen. Pharaoh's heart is going to harden. And you're going to do this sign before him, and he's not going to let your people go. As a matter of fact, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to kill his firstborn son before this happens. Once again, I'm not allowed to talk about that too much right now because Tony's going to do that here in a couple of weeks. But let me give you guys a few things that you need to know over these plagues, the first nine plagues that happened, Okay. Plague is an interesting word. Throw that up for me, Philip, that next slide. 
It's a Hebrew word, right? Here's the Hebrew word, nagaf, which means to hit or to strike, okay? To hit or to strike. Now, here's the fascinating thing, okay? Who can name some of the plagues? You guys shout them out. What do you got? Name a plague, any plague. Water into blood. That's a good one, right? Okay. Frogs, locusts, what else? Gnats, ugh. Sores? Yeah? What else we got? Anybody? Darkness. Yeah, you guys are good, man. What was that? Dead cattle? Dead animals? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely one. Anybody else? I'm sure you said something that's right, but I can't hear you anymore. The angel of death. Yeah, that's the last one, okay? Hold on, hold on. Before we get there, okay? Now think about this just for a second. When you hear the word plague right now, what do you think of? Sickness, right? What about, yes, yes, somebody said it, say it louder, say it louder. COVID, right? When I hear the word plague, that's what I think of. And when I hear the word plague, I think of sickness. And if we were to look up the definition of plague, this is what we get. But when we see what God has done, we see that it's not just sickness. Instead, it is actual attacks against these people. Check this out. Chapter number 6, verse number 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out. And with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. I am the Lord. Oh, this is where it gets good, guys. This is where it gets tricky. This is where everything starts to go crazy here, okay? This is where it just doesn't make sense, right? Why would he not do, why would he not let them go? So now it's time for us to start digging into the plagues. Like I said, I can't cover all these chapters. I can't give you uh, words by words, but what I want to do is I want to show you and kind of help you understand what happens here. So at the end of chapter number six, we see that Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh and he brings in that staff again. Remember, he brings in that stick and he throws down his stick and his stick becomes a snake. But then Pharaoh's magicians, they do the same thing and it becomes a snake. But then we see, uh, we see Moses' staff eat their staff and all of a sudden he just kicks them out. He says, hey, listen, I'm not letting the people go. Now get out of here. Verse number 13. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them. It was done. He said, hey, it's not happening, okay? I'm just telling you. I'm not letting the people go. So I was wondering, why? Why plagues? Why are we letting this happen? Okay? Check out the screen behind me. There's a little chart behind me that you're going to see right here, and this is going to help you understand some of the rationale for the plagues, okay? It's going to help you understand this. Chapter 4, we read this just a minute ago, but this is the exact reason why plagues happen. Yahweh said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the warners I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let my people go. Then say this to him. This is what Yahweh says. Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my people go so that he may Worship me, but you refuse to let my people go. So I will kill your firstborn son. The main reason for God hardening 
of Pharaoh's heart, according to this passage, was in order to perform all the plagues and to escalate the confrontation to the point at which God would kill his son. You see, as you start to look at this chart, you start to see that God was about his glory. God was about showing who he was. He was going to demonstrate his own unique, uniqueness. He wanted people to understand that, that, that there is no one like him, not even the Pharaoh himself. Check that out in verse or chapter number 9. He said, let my people go so that they may worship me, or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your office, or officials and your people, so you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. Now you're going to get there in just a minute. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. Here's what you need to know. Each of these nine plagues that we're about to learn about, that we're about to dive into, is a direct counter to Pharaoh's evil in Israel, or against evil Israel in Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. I taught it three weeks ago, I think now. What did Pharaoh do? Anybody remember? He, he did what? He had the Israelites, he had the Hebrews throw their babies in the water. You remember that? He had the Hebrews throw their babies. He told the midwives, he said, hey, whenever you deliver, if it's a girl, keep the girl. That's fine. Our people can marry her. Our people can take her as a slave. Our people can do things with her. But if it's a boy, throw them in the water. Get rid of them. It's about to get good, guys. Instead of me going through every single one of these plagues and trying to give you every bit of it, I got a video for you. And I want you to watch this video, and then I'm going to talk as fast as I can about these things, and then we're going to get out of here, okay? Check out the screen behind me. Play that video. Plagues were ten disasters sent upon Egypt by God to convince Pharaoh to free the Israelite slaves from the bondage and oppression they had endured in Egypt for 400 years. When God sent Moses to deliver the children of Israel from bondage in Egypt, he promised to show his wonders as confirmation of Moses' authority. This confirmation was to serve at least two purposes, to show the Israelites that the God of their fathers was alive and worthy of their worship, and to show the Egyptians that their gods were nothing. The Israelites had been enslaved in Egypt for about 400 years, and in that time had lost faith in the God of their fathers. They believed he existed and worshipped him, but they doubted that he could or would break the yoke of their bondage. The Egyptians, like many pagan cultures, worshipped a wide variety of nature gods and attributed their powers to the natural phenomena they saw in the world around them. There was a god of the sun, of the river, of childbirth, of crops, etc. Events like the annual flooding of the Nile, which fertilized their croplands, were evidences of their god's powers and goodwill. When Moses approached Pharaoh, demanding that he let the people go, Pharaoh responded by saying, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Thus began the challenge to show whose God was more powerful. The first plague, turning the Nile to blood, was a judgment against Apis, the god of the Nile, Isis, goddess of the Nile, and Canum, guardian of the Nile. The Nile was also believed to be the bloodstream of Osiris, who was reborn each year when the river flooded. The river, which formed the basis of daily life and the national economy, was devastated as millions of fish died in the river and the water was unusable. Pharaoh was told, by this you will know that I am the Lord. The second plague, 
bringing frogs from the Nile was a judgment against Hecate, the frog-headed goddess of birth. Frogs were thought to be sacred and not to be killed. God had the frogs invade every part of the homes of the Egyptians, and when the frogs died, their stinking bodies were heaped up in offensive piles all throughout the land. The third plague, gnats, was a judgment on Set, the god of the desert. Unlike the previous plagues, the magicians were unable to duplicate this one and declared to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. The fourth plague, flies, was a judgment on Uachit, the fly god. In this plague, God clearly distinguished between the Israelites and the Egyptians, as no swarms of flies bothered the areas where the Israelites lived. The fifth plague, the death of livestock, was a judgment on the goddess Hathor and the god Apis, who were both depicted as cattle. As with the previous plague, God protected his people from the plague, while the cattle of the Egyptians died. God was steadily destroying the economy of Egypt, while showing his ability to protect and provide for those who obeyed him. Pharaoh even sent investigators to find out if the Israelites were suffering along with the Egyptians, but the result was a hardening of his heart against the Israelites. The sixth plague, boils, was a judgment against several gods over health and disease. Sekhmet, Sunu, and Isis. This time, the Bible says that the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. Clearly, these religious leaders were powerless against the God of Israel. Before God sent the last three plagues, Pharaoh was given a special message from God. These plagues would be more severe than the others, and they were designed to convince Pharaoh and all the people that there is none like me in all the earth. Pharaoh was even told that he was placed in his position by God, so that God could show his power and declare his name through all the earth. As an example of his grace, God warned Pharaoh to gather whatever cattle and crops remained from the previous plagues and shelter them from the coming storm. Some of Pharaoh's servants heeded the warning, while others did not. The seventh plague, Hail, attacked Nut, the sky goddess, Osiris, the crop fertility god, and Set, the storm god. This hail was unlike any that had been seen before. It was accompanied by a fire which ran along the ground, and everything left out in the open was devastated by the hail and fire. Again, the children of Israel were miraculously protected, and no hail damaged anything in their lands. Before God brought the next plague, he told Moses that the Israelites would be able to tell their children of the things they had seen God do in Egypt and how it showed them God's power. The eighth plague, locusts, again focused on Nut, Osiris, and Set. The later crops, wheat and rye, which had survived the hail, were now devoured by swarms of locusts. There would be no harvest in Egypt that year. The ninth plague, darkness, was aimed at the sun god, Re, who was symbolized by Pharaoh himself. For three days, the land of Egypt was smothered by an unearthly darkness, but the homes of the Israelites had light. All right. There's a lot of information. That's why I wasn't going to try to go through all this and teach it all to you. I, I thought you might do better seeing it on the screen. Here's the thing. God was going after Egypt, and he was going to take out every part of Egypt. He was taking them out financially. He was taking them out um, so that they would understand that he was the most powerful, the God he claimed to be. I love this. In um, Genesis chapter number 6, verse number 14, God says to Moses, he says, Pharaoh's heart is hardened and he refuses to let the people go. Verse 15, go to Pharaoh in the morning as he's going out to the water. Stand on the, on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take your hand or taking your hand the staff that turned into a serpent, and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me. Let my people go. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, You will know I am the Lord. Um, and then he takes his staff and he strikes the water. 
He strikes the water and it turns into blood. And we all know this story, right? But some of the commentaries that I've read this week, it made a fascinating point that I had never thought about this, all right? Think back to what we said happened in Exodus chapter 1. All the babies were thrown in the water, right? There was death in that water. The Nile was the life source of everything for the Egyptians. Fishing, the economy, everything revolved around this. This is where they got their water. This is where they took baths. This is where everything happened out of the Nile. And so when he struck that water, it became blood, right? This was a representation. Hey, you killed my children. It's not going to go unpunished. It's not going to be that you can do this to my people. God was sending signs now to change things all about. I think it's fascinating if we really were to dive into it. There are different gods the Egyptians worship. There's different gods. And not all of it always matches up timeline-wise. And I'm not going to try to give you all this. But it is really unique to see how God attacked certain things that the Egyptians would have worshipped. And it says this. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Over and over again, Pharaoh hardens his heart at first. He says, you know what? No, I'm not going to let this happen. This does not bother me. It bothers me, but it's not enough for me to let this happen. And then eventually it starts to say, God hardens Pharaoh's heart because here's the difference. Pharaoh had already chosen over and over again, I'm not going to let what he does change my mind. And then he switches it all up. He sees that the plagues were only happening to him. They weren't happening to the Israelites. You see, these ten signs, they revealed God's mighty power, his uniqueness, and his faithfulness to his word. Over and over again, he was showing up to show the people, I am about me. I'm about what I say. So, there's three different cycles of plagues that happen. And then Tony gets to finish this up in a couple of weeks with, those last, with the last plague. And it's fascinating to see what God does here. And it's fascinating to see the Passover and how God institutes it out of this leaving of Egypt. But here's the bottom line today. Here's the last thing, and I want you to understand this, that the whole message is all about this. God is about his glory and not anyone else's. He's all about his glory. He's all about showing, hey, I made this. These are my people. No one's as powerful as me. No one can stand comparably to me. And when I say I'm going to do something, you can count on it. It's going to happen. Exodus 4, he promises, he tells Moses, hey, listen, he's not going to let those people go. He's going to harden his heart, and I'm going to have to kill his firstborn son in order for them to leave. Nine plagues have happened. Nine plagues have happened. Pharaoh's son's still alive. The people of Egypt, everything is ruined. They don't know what's going to happen next. They're begging Pharaoh, hey, get these people out of here. We don't want them here anymore. Look at what their God's doing to us. Pharaoh says, no, I'm still the man. Mm -mm. God's got a bigger plan. He's about his glory. And he's going to show the entire world at this time how big he really is. How's he going to do it? You'll see it on this next, well, not next week, but the following week when Tony brings up 
the tenth and final plague of the death angel. All right? Let me pray over you guys. And this week, here's what I want you to think about. How are you giving God the glory he deserves as the ultimate creator, the ultimate ruler of all life, the guy who redeemed us, the guy who loves you, the God who loves you more than you could ever imagine, who wants a relationship with you. Let me pray over you. God, today, it's an interesting, God, passage to look through. So many different signs, God, that you gave specifically, Lord, for the Egyptians to know that, God, you are creator, that you rule universally, that, God, you are just so much greater than anyone could imagine, and that, God, you wouldn't stop until you had your people. And so, Father, today I pray right now that, Lord, we will take serious our relationship with you, that, God, you are our redeemer, that, God, we have been bought by you. And then, God, no matter what anyone does to us, God, we still look to you because you are creator of all, you're sustainer of all. And so, Father, today I pray that, God, we will get in your word this week, that, God, we will spend time with you, that, God, we will understand, Lord, how you've created us, why you created us. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.